You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Business Talk Show, Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am super excited to be here. We're going to have a great conversation with Michelle Beauchamp. She is the founder of the Champ Group. And I'd just like to say, Michelle, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate your invitation and I'm excited to be here with you today. We've had a chance to get to know each other in preparation for being a guest on the show. And the more I get to know Michelle, the more I realize how valuable the work that she does is for companies. And I'm super enthusiastic to have her talk a bit about what she does. But before we get there, let's talk about you as an entrepreneur. You started your entrepreneurial journey six years ago. And, I, and I'd like to know, take us back. What was the original motivation for you to begin to plan your business six years ago? That's such a good question. And here's my, my, my short answer is that I had entrepreneurial experience before many years ago. And then I went back into corporate, corporate, then entrepreneur. Then I went back into corporate, right? So a journey. And the truth is, it was challenging to go back to corporate after having been an entrepreneur before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I stayed there for 10 years. <laughs> so I did do it for 10 years. Um, but for really about eight of the years, I really knew that that wasn't where I wanted to end up. I really knew that what was important to me was, was to be able to, to really help other people grow and learn and succeed. And I didn't feel that I could do that in that corporate environment that I was in. So my interest and my desire didn't lie within uh, the purpose of the job. The job served its purpose. Um, but I knew that me as an individual, as the person who I really was, I wasn't able to do that so in the corporate world. So I just knew that I really wanted to, to start a, a business again where I could do the training and I could coach people and take all the experience that I've gotten, which I say I've had a lot of birthdays, therefore I have a lot of experience. <laughs> so what I thought, you know what, wouldn't it be great if I can help other people So I'm, the experience I'm gonna... that I've had? I want to back up for a second. Sorry about that, Michelle. But um, I agree with you that many times when entrepreneurs get a taste of what it means to run your business, it's hard to become an employee again. So let let me just ask you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, why was it that it was hard to, to go back to a job after you've been an entrepreneur? A few reasons. I really realized that I like trying things out Mm. and making decisions. And in the corporate environment that I was in, I didn't have the flexibility to try things out. There were too many layers. And, And what I really didn't like, I mean, like the straw that broke the camel's back, really, is that the company would, they would roll out programs, which in their mind, in the ivory tower where they were, they seem like good programs, but the ability to really implement and the usefulness of it was there was a disconnect. So they would roll programs out and see the thing is they wouldn't remember to ask us 
Is this something that you need? <laughs> they would just decide, this seems like a really good idea. You know, we, they've done some research and whatnot. So I don't want to, you know, make it sound like they were a bad company. They weren't. But the problem for me was that the programs I didn't believe in. And really it was because, you know, as I learned and grew and I, and it was advantageous. I mean, I had some good experiences there. Um, but what I really wanted to do, who I really am internally um, was not the person I was able to be in that in that corporate environment. I mean, I you know I didn't like the politics and I I didn't like some of the decisions that they made and I didn't like the fact that I didn't have the input on the decisions. Right. You know, as an entrepreneur, we can I can say now you know what this seems like a good idea. Let me try that and then it'll either work and. I'll say, okay, wow, that was really good. I can tweak this. I can tweak that. I'm really excited about that. Or I can say that didn't work and I can decide not to do it again. Um, I didn't have that flexibility in the corporate, in the corporate world. And, 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 and mostly it's because I didn't have the ability to be able to really, um, you know, one thing that I say in my business is that the company is called the champ group. And what I love to do is to help people unleash Mm. their inner champ. And I didn't feel like I really had the ability to do that in that corporate environment. So I, I wasn't excited about it. I wasn't energetic about it. You know, now I wake up in the morning and I'm excited about the morning. And, and that wasn't always the case. <laughs> and and that, we're going we're to talk about your business in a minute. But I think that experience is so <laughs> valuable for you now for you now working with companies because you, I believe, understand how to help people make sure when they roll a program out, it has the integrity and the buy-in. So I'm going to hold that thought until we come to what it is you do for people. But I think that's super valuable that you've actually walked in the shoes of the people that you're help, you want to help in these companies. That's, oh, that's sure. amazing. That's, that's a great point of differentiation. So six years ago, in your mind, the Champ Group was born and you mm -hmm. did some work. But really three years ago, you decided it is time to walk again on my own and to bet on myself. And so I wonder what happened and what was what gave you that confidence? Because it takes a lot of confidence, ladies and gentlemen, to launch your business and to yeah. maintain it. What happened? I think it was enough years of continuing to feel like I really didn't matter that much in the organization. Um, and, and I was very frustrated with it because I had had the experience before where I felt like I did, right? Because I was an entrepreneur before. And I knew that, I just knew this is not my end game. <laughs> this, this is just not my end game. I, I, I know, you know, when I'm, when I'm done working, I don't want it to be ending here. So just in my heart, in my mind, I just knew this wasn't, that wasn't it. So I knew that. I also wanted to get some more credibility. I have a lot of experience, but I also wanted to get some certification for some credibility as well. Um, so I started looking around on different coaching certification programs. Um, and, and, and then I found that, that John Maxwell had one um, and I've been following him for it for years. And, and it gave me the, it, it gave me energy. It gave me ideas. It energized me. It made me excited and it gave me, an opportunity to, again, feel like I was able to really be me <laughs> mm. where I didn't feel, I didn't feel like it um, so much in, in that corporate environment. So I just said to myself and to my husband, <laughs> we got to figure out a way for me to, 
make a transition from the corporate so that I can go back and 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 start a business, the Champ Group again, so that I can get the experiences that I really enjoy and help other people benefit from my experiences. So um, I just knew that this that wasn't it. That that just was not it. And you know what? Um, I, I'm a woman of faith, and I just believe that God had greater things <laughs> in store for me. And that if I believed it enough that he would give me the courage and the confidence, you're right, to take those steps. So for many years, Rick, for like three or four years on my vision board, I had the word leap of faith on there <laughs> a long time. I was really happy when I could finally take that off the vision board. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Powerful story. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what it is that the John Maxwell certification kind of helped you to deliver the service that you do. But I see that Trish Lee had earlier responded on LinkedIn. She said, I always say that I could never have a real job again. So that ties back to what we talked about earlier. And then I see a little lengthier message. It's there it is. You say, you can read it yourself, but yeah, I feel like see. imposter syndrome is a real issue when starting a business. Even if you have the experience and knowledge, it can feel like you don't have what it takes to own your own business. Sometimes you just have to jump in with both feet. All right, Trish. Yes. All right. That's right. That's exactly right. And and it takes a lot of courage to, to do that, you know, but on the other hand, you know, I remember seeing a statement, I can't remember it verbatim, but it, it, it said it was something like this. Um, it was more difficult to stay tight in a rosebud than to bloom. Hmm. Um, and, and I remember seeing that statement when I was working in corporate, <laughs> Um, and, and it did give me courage to, like Trish said, jump in with both feet. I mean, you got to believe that, you know, after all that experience, surely you're going to be able to help someone and you're, there's going to be a, a need for what you have. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, so amen, Trish, <laughs> you know, I, I found, um, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I, cause I, when my wife and I got married in 1986, we did a life plan and part of my life plan was that I was going to own my own business. And I thought at that time it might be like a sales consulting business because I was in sales, but then I had a corporate career and it took me until I was 49, frankly, to decide to leave in 2007 uh, to leave the corporate world. And I had been tested a lot in the corporate jobs that I had because I had, you know, whatever. Um, what I never appreciated was how much of me it would take to be a successful entrepreneur, way more than being in the corporate world. But I think when you when you no longer get a chance to use your full self in a corporate job, that's kind of what I heard you saying earlier too, Michelle, is that you just weren't able to be fully engaged in the job. Because right. it, it didn't require that. You weren't allowed to be that person because right. the company didn't need you to be that person. Whether, yeah. But as an entrepreneur, you got to be everything when you're running your own you business. Do. You do. You know, interesting too. You know, now this this happened in year one. This is interesting to, to think back on this. In year one of my job there, I remember that I was asked a question. Um, and so I gave some thought to it and I thought, okay, you know, I'm excited that, you know, she's asking me for my opinion. <laughs> and I remember that I gave her my opinion and she said, we don't really need for you to, to you know, really plan things out. We just need for you to do your job. And, and <laughs> so, so wow. that, was, that was your one. And I did work there for 10 years, right? Um, but, and luckily that wasn't always my experience, but it was a red flag early on. Okay, this is not going to be the environment where creativity is required. <laughs> 
you know, right. and it was a sales leader. So this is, a, this is, this is really only about you setting an environment where you help your team make your numbers. That, that, that was clear to me. You know, it was uh -huh. clear to me. You, you know, and we're going to talk about what it is you do because I, I was really fascinated to learn what you're doing in an area that's getting a lot of discussion in all size companies. But before we do that, I want to recognize Leo Bateri, who said, I think many women have the substance yet lack the confidence while men have the confidence without mm. always having the goods to back it up. We can <laughs> learn from each other. All right, Leo. <laughs> the power of peer learning, right? There it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. a great segue into talk to us about what you're doing today as a consultant for the companies in the area of diversity and inclusion, DEI. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I love the comments. That, <laughs> I love the comments that we're getting to <clears throat> the DE, DEI B for belonging, you, you know, it's evolving. And so I added DEIB really to my mix of leadership development last year. Um, what occurred to me, Rick, was that I already do development and training in things like empathy and listening and um, treating people as though they want to be treated, mm -hmm. um, learning how to respect. So I already trained in that. That was my leadership training. What I saw was happening last year with so much social and racial injustice and, 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 and people really demanding to be treated the way they felt they should be treated. It dawned on me that I could incorporate the leadership skills I already developed into diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I found a program, I got licensed in a program and um, called Everybody at the Table. And um, just really started studying it. And the, the, also the other reality I had was, uh, yeah, I've been living that all my life. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have some personal stories of experiences. I have experiences that are relevant in this realm. So I decided to add that to my mix. What I am finding is that that actually has been the core part of my business this year. You know, mm -hmm. when I really start stop and think about it, that has been a core part of my business this year. And let me tell you that I'm so excited about that because it means that companies who are willing to take this on, it's a hard subject. You know, it's, it's really hard. And it's hard because we live in a society where um, people are emotional about it. Some want to acknowledge some things, some don't. And it's very emotional and very personal. We've all grown up in different households with different values and different beliefs. And, and when we talk about leadership overall, you know, we talk about how to identify qualities, what kind of traits you should have as a leader. Um, and that's also challenging, but not nearly as challenging as what kind of biases might I have, which maybe prevented me from hiring someone or promoting someone or even involving someone in a meeting that I don't really feel comfortable with because I don't understand where they're coming from. So what I really appreciate is doing this work now because in, in my hopes are that it will help everyone learn to appreciate each other more. 
and, and work together mm -hmm. more effectively. Um, so this work is very important to me. And I see that companies are taking a look at it and some companies are embracing it. Um, and you know what? It's a journey. So it's mm -hmm. not like it's not like, you know, how the sexual harassment training that every company has to do, um, you know, it's a two hour training and that's a check the box kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, this is definitely not that. And to be honest, neither is sexual harassment. It's just that there is this requirement that you have to do a two hour training, but that's not enough either, really. So um, companies who are willing to take this on recognize that it's hard and it's so valuable um, because people will feel safe. And when you feel safe and when you feel like what you do does matter. See, I didn't feel like what I did mattered in that corporate, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it mattered. When you feel like your work really matters, then um, you become more engaged and you really show that you really show that you care. I mean, and, and you. And you want to stay there. I mean, you know, we're not here to talk about the great resignation, but I tell you what, the great resignation is a big red flag uh, for companies to recognize that the, the, the days are gone where the leader barks orders and people respond. Those days are gone. Thank goodness. Right. I mean, yes. I, bet you, I bet you can think of some people who used to operate like that. I know I can. Um, and thank goodness those days are gone. Yes. So, so the whole the leadership and the diversity, equity, inclusion, all those go together. And really it's about helping people feel like they are the special individual that they were created to be at the end of the day. Thank you. And you know, because I knew you I was having you on the show, we created a poll earlier this week and we asked this question: is it your experience? that the investment in diversity and inclusion, DEI, is worthwhile. And we gave everybody three choices, a simple yes, a simple no, or only when top executives believe in it. And what we've gotten so far, and the poll will be up for another six days, so people are welcome oh. to take oh, it, uh, is uh, half the respondents said, yes, these DEI programs are worthwhile. Nobody responded, no, they are not worthwhile. And then the other half responded only when the top executives believe in it. And so I wanted to get your experience that this concept of tone at the top for any change program within an organization, but specifically for DEIB, I mean, is it your, what is your experience relative to making sure that you actually achieve the type of movement that you're hoping to get by embracing these programs within a company? Thanks for asking that poll question too, because that's going to be interesting to get the feedback. So um, my experience is that, like you said, with all behavior change, it needs to start at the top, really regardless of the subject. Um, when I'm doing, if whether I'm doing sales training or leadership training um, or what, whatever the training, the leadership needs to start, start it. Because if the leadership doesn't buy into it, then it doesn't go anywhere. And the people won't believe. I mean, and with DEIB, it's even more important because again, there's so many emotionals, emotional um, aspects and so many people have so many different feelings about it. Um, and so it really does, it, it really does have to start. It has to start at the top. Um, and that means it takes a lot of courage. I mean, really, it's a it takes a lot of courage to be a leader anyway. 
Um, but and it takes a lot of courage in the work that I do. There are different roles that people take on in the subject of DEIB. And um, whether you're at the top role, which is the pioneer, like, you know what, I'm looking around and, you know, we're getting ready to change our culture and let's do it. We're going to roll up our sleeves and we're in it to win it. So that's the pioneer all the way down to the obstructor who's like, oh, no, we don't need to be doing that, you know. And so being really willing to say where you are in the mix. So if the leader says, you know what, I don't really want to change, but I'm getting a lot of flack from my people that, that this is discussed. Well, that means that we really have to start at the top. And really, there's a lot of self-awareness that has to go on. There's a lot of uh, recognition and exploration and discovery, like what brought my feelings of fear on? And then how can I unleash it as we move forward so that I can get to where I need to be and lead my people to where they need to be and help them move along. So it's not in an instant. Um, so when people say that it has to be the leader, it starts at the top, it does. And it, and it also doesn't mean that the leader says, yes, we're gonna do this program and then doesn't participate, but provides some tools for the other people to participate. That's not good either. <laughs> That's, that's definitely, that's not good. It's not, it's not that, you know, it's interesting. I, I forget what I was on. I was on a meeting not too long ago. I can't remember what it was. And the person said, you know, Michelle, at my company, the leaders have acted like they want to roll up their sleeves and they, mm -hmm. they, they say they're putting some words to it, but you know what? Nothing's happening. So they're not being, they're not being honest. And it's, and it's probably because of fear, you know? Fear of what might get said that ruffles someone feather someone's feathers and um, but here's what happens when feathers get ruffled, then truth comes out, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and so as companies become more vulnerable, more willing to say what they think, without being judged, and being willing to know that they can keep st taking steps forward and grow, then they will be doing themselves a favor and they'll be doing their companies a favor by, by removing the mask and showing who they really are and, and how they can move forward. All of us are a work in progress, right? <laughs> right. None of us is perfect. All of us is a work in progress. Um, and when the CEOs are willing to accept that and acknowledge that that's what's going to make a difference in the organization. So um, so I'm glad that we got 50% yes, it's good, and 50% yeah, if the, if the leaders are, are involved. It does have to start at the top or it won't go anywhere. Boy, as, as you were um, responding, Michelle, a couple of thoughts were going through my head. And so the first, the first one is it's really hard to understand what your bias is because it's your filter from which you see everything. And so it really takes a lot of uh, appreciation to and empathy and maybe some emotional intelligence to begin to understand your own personal bias. And yeah. it sounds like to me uh, that healthy cultures who have high levels of trust really are probably great opportunities for this type of training because people can inadvertently make mistakes and be a bit forgiven, not now seen in a different light because there is a bit of willingness, like you said, to be vulnerable, to express yourself, but to know that the group is on your side, even if what you're saying may be counter to what they believe. So it really sounds like to me, these programs 
require a healthy culture, as any change program does, a healthy culture within the company that is willing to evolve. 100%. If the culture is not healthy, the, the truth is, if the culture is not healthy, the leader's not even going to look at this because, <laughs> yes. you know, because there are other too many other things they have going on that they need to fix. Right. right. And, and, you know, and the, and the truth is, so I like working with companies who recognize this and companies who do have good cultures, healthy cultures, who can become even more healthy, right, to become right. even more effective. But the company who doesn't have a healthy culture, they're not looking at this. <laughs> they're not looking about how to strengthen their, their, they're not looking at just how to strengthen the diversity or the, or the equity or the inclusion, which means people won't feel like they belong, right? They're, they're not, um, yeah. They're, they're and they're not, in, they're not engaged. You said it earlier. I think the single best competitive uh, differentiation a company can have is a truly engaged workforce because it shows up in so many ways and the ROI on that is unbelievable. And when you look at the incoming workers, there's so much more diversity in your workforce that what we're really talking, what it sounds like you're talking about here is just becoming future ready for the makeup of your workforce of tomorrow. Maybe it's not the workforce of yesterday or even today. So this isn't, this isn't something that isn't already happening. This is a realization of that is what America now is. And and embracing it to create a culture that allows everybody to contribute to their fullest potential. Yeah, Rick, you know, um, so this is kind of an alarming statistic when you think about it, but then just, um, so by 2025, so we're almost at 2022, right? Right. Then 75% of the workforce is projected to be millennials. So millennials, they grew up with more accepting of people who are different, right? And they expect to work in environments where people are different. So as companies prepare, you're right, for the future, um, they, they have to prepare that they're, right now we have multiple generations working, uh, but you know, my generation will be retiring <laughs> and, and the millennials will be, are coming in more and more. Uh, look what Leo said, those companies are doomed. Uh, they are, you know? And so it'll be really good for companies to recognize, I gotta look forward, I gotta look ahead and I have to hire people who are different. Uh, different genders, different races, different personalities. Um, you know, we got to take a look at what we have and what we need and be willing to say, we need to, we need to um, diversify with, with a lot of different, with, with a lot of different things. Um, so we, we have to be prepared for the future, which means helping our people understand the value that we bring. I mean, you, you're right. Companies that are diver diverse, it's really proven uh, experience more profitability. So leaders know that their bottom line is we need to be profitable. Of course, you need to be profitable. So how can you be profitable is by diversifying and people collaborate more. Um, they have different ideas. They bring different experiences. If everybody in the room has the same experience, first of all, that's boring. And secondly, you're not, you're not allowing people to be expanded. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, when I worked at yeah, another company, um, the marketing department was in the process of putting together this new lavish marketing plan. They invited all of us to come into the room for a presentation about what they were going to be 
including in their new marketing plan. And guess what? They showed us pictures of people that they were going to put in the campaign. None of them were, were black. There was not one black person. Finally, I had to speak up and say, oh, you know what? I see you have different generations. That's good. Um, you have women and men. That's good. But I don't see anybody who's black in your pictures. And so they and they were mortified. Why did they not realize that? Because they weren't their group wasn't diverse. They didn't have anybody in the group to bring that up. So. I think that's a great example. I did end up speaking up. They were mortified. We came back together a few weeks later. They had pictures that were diverse. So, you know, they learned their lesson. But that is an example of why people need to have different kind of people in their environment. Yeah, I know, I know we're going to talk in a minute here uh, that you build and lead mastermind groups, and so do I. And that's one of the key tenets of a, of a powerful mastermind group is that you have a a, as many different types of entrepreneurs around the table as possible, because it, if not, what you end up with is groupthink. You don't even realize it, but everybody's on the same page. And so right. there's not really much healthy conversation and certainly no breakthrough ideas because everybody's sort of seen and read the same publications. But before we get there, uh, I wanted to ask you, I know that you have experience building and then launching an online course. So in a few, can, can you talk to other entrepreneurs about what that experience was like for you, Michelle? I, I will. And so, <laughs> you know, earlier I said that I like to be able to try things out. This seems like a good idea. Let me try it and see how it works and do some tweaks, right? Well, this online course is an example of that. So I did have another online course before, and it's been a few years. I, I, I created it soon after I started the, the company, and that one was on networking. Um, and so you learn and you live and I, I had to identify first the platform. So now I created another course, which, you know what, it's, um, I'm in the process of finalizing it. So it's not yet launched. Okay. Um, so I don't have experience on that yet, but so here's the thing. Um, there was a lot again, and you know, I said earlier when I worked in that corporate environment, I didn't have the ability to be creative. Um, so now there gets to be a lot of opportunity to be creative. <laughs> so, but also very frustrating, like which platform should I use? Right. And how do you use it? And, you know, um, Rick, we were having a conversation prior to when we started and I need for the technology to be user-friendly. <laughs> so, so the technology identifying what the technology is that you want um, that's going to be most useful, easy for the user and easy for you to, to put together. Um, and then that and then the content and the content I have really enjoyed. Um, the reason I started this online course is because what I know is that companies have leaders participate in training. But sometimes it doesn't filter down to the employees, the front people on the front line. And I felt as though this subject of DEI needed to be available for all employees. So I created the course so that the leaders can have it, but also the all the employees, because it's all about engagement. It's all about understanding. And I wanted to make sure that I provided a tool for, for companies to be able to offer to their employees. So creating the content and making it simple, that has been something very important to me. But it's just like when I'm creating a workshop or, or a program for people, I always want to make it applicable and I want to make it as simple and, and, and practical for people to be able to apply. After I finish this one course, how can I use this in my interactions and my dialogue with someone this afternoon? So that's another learning curve. And then there's the marketing, <laughs> which, always I, the marketing. which I am still in the process of doing. But then there, there is the marketing. So there are a lot of different elements to it. Um, but I think that for people who are considering creating online courses, 
the time is right because, you know, I mean, it, it, the, a lot of virtual online learning is, is definitely here to stay. I believe yes. it, it's, it's here to stay. And, you know, it's all about micro learning. So you don't want to have one course be two hours because who's going to have the attention span <laughs> to do that. So recognizing that we have to make it simple and easy again, so people can take that lesson and learn it and apply it and then make it easy to go back get the other lessons. So the marketing of it. So, you know, that really comes to understanding who, as we know, who's, who's our, who's our avatar, who's our primary business, who's our target and really figuring out how to market to that, to that, to that person who's going to recognize as something that's needed. But I encourage, I encourage entrepreneurs to, to do this because I think that it's a way for us to expand our reach and to um, provide a tool that's going to help other people be able to get the knowledge that, that we've got. So it's expanding our opportunity and helping other people get the, um, the tools that we want them to have. So I see another message from Leo. Oh, I have to run anyone who wants to be, to be a champ. She, oh, oh, thank you, Leo. What a nice thing to say, Leo. He's thank you for joining. He's an amazing man. So it is. Uh, as as does Leo. Looking at the time, it has flown by, Michelle. Yes. And uh, oh, <laughs> so, oh, my, my goodness. goodness, we could do this for a long time. How does someone connect with you, <laughs> either on LinkedIn or find your website online? Thank you. Wow, that time did fly by. Wow. Um, so LinkedIn, Michelle Beauchamp, under, underneath Michelle Beauchamp, LinkedIn dot slash, you know, in slash Michelle Beauchamp. That's my LinkedIn uh, information. And um, my website is www.thechampgroup.com. Well, this has been thoroughly enjoyable. I look forward to having you on the show. I said at the open it was going to be a great show, and I believe it was. And I, that's because of you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Rick. Great questions. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your invitation and, your, and your, the people who joined us today. So thank you so much. That time went fast. Thank you. I hope that it was valuable for people who are entrepreneurs and looking to get some new ideas. Thank you. And I'd like to thank Gottlieb, Brackman, and Reisman, who proudly supported this edition of Critical Mass Business Talk Show. GRRPC provides legal advice and guidance on all aspects of intellectual property law, including patents, trademarks, and copyrights. To learn more, visit them at GRR.com. I'd like to thank all of you, either listening live here on the stream today or catching us as a podcast for being a part of Orange County's longest-running business talk show. This was episode number 1330. If you're the, if we're not already connected on LinkedIn, reach out to me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And my website is the same, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.